right. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour. As you've heard in probably some of our episodes this year, we've done a been sprinkling in some interviews with each of our panelists uh, that we've called our sidebar interview specials. I don't know what you want to call it, but we're going deep on each of our panelists on their backgrounds, their careers, just to really answer some of the questions that people have asked us throughout the years. So I get the opportunity now to interview Shirley. Shirley Wu, thank you uh, for giving us the opportunity to maybe go deep on your background. Oh my God, thank you for taking the time. I'm so excited to talk to you uh, about myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an easy subject, right? Like, you know, the answers. It's like one of those ones where you're like, I got this. Do I? I don't know. I sometimes I don't know. feel like it's like harder <laughs> to talk about yourself on it recording. <laughs> it, it really honestly is. Let's start off easy. Shirley, where'd you grow up? Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is actually a little bit of a long answer. Um, I was born in the Philippines, uh, but my parents are both Chinese. So we went back to China when I was two. Then we moved to Japan when I was four. And then we moved to SoCal when I was 10. And then I've been in the U.S. since. Southern California. Yeah, I guess we should clarify that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where in Southern California did you move to? Uh, it was right outside of L.A. in Ventura County. Um, like 10 miles from the beach. It was really nice, but I did grow to hate the beach, actually. <laughs> what? You hate the beach? How come? Uh, it was a really stupid, like, middle school mistake I made where, okay, this is going to sound really spoiled, but for our middle school, every year, like, the kids that, like, I guess were well behaved quote unquote i can't remember the, but there was like a point system and so if you like got more than like a certain number of points then your end of the year reward was like a day at the beach and then like they would get in and out catered to you um and <laughs> and in seventh grade i went and it was an overcast day so i was like i don't need sunscreen and i got a second degree burn on my back and i've kind of disliked it since very stupid reason because it's not the beach's fault but <laughs> no but that huge of a sunburn is not a good feeling so yeah no. I, I mean i get it like it's just like i won't even bother with the beach i don't even have to risk it again <laughs> okay that's fair and that was when i learned that uv rays go through clouds <laughs> I didn't yes, know they that do. before. Mistakes and you learn from them, right? Like that's that's yeah, great. Yeah, when you're 12, I guess make them when you're 12. <laughs> so I take it too from that little uh, story too that you were like one of the good kids because you were awarded <laughs> for going to the beach. <laughs> yeah, I um I cannot deny it. Um, I mean, I'm a I guess Asian American child, and then as an Asian American child, I was expected to behave a certain way. Um, and I like to say that I had my teenage rebellion in my mid twenties, uh, and that's when I refused to listen to my parents because, believe it or not, uh, Asian parents or at least Chinese parents have an opinion on what you do well past, like after you graduate from college. And that was when I was like, "Nope, I'm financially independent. Uh, I will. You can give me advice, but I'm not obligated to listen to them anymore." <laughs> That's fair. I did that a lot sooner, but took you a bit longer. I get it. That's cool. <laughs> I, when I was a child, I was like, I'm not going to 
bite the hand that feeds me. This, you know, you're just a lot smarter than me, Shirley. That's all. Like that. That's uh, fair. <laughs> what brought you, like you and your family? Like this is not a small move. We're talking countries. What brought your family to move to Southern California? Oh yeah. So all of the moves that we had uh, were because my dad got new jobs and new opportunities in those different places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them were because of my dad's job, and they were. And I guess it's because he's like such a very specific research scientist that like he got very specific jobs in like different countries. Awesome. No, that makes sense. And where it was it an exciting moment to be like, oh, I'm moving to this weird country or. Oh, man. Um... <laughs> uh, OK, so this is where I speak about a little bit like unpleasant things, which is um, so I grew up in Japan uh in my like kindergarten to elementary like fourth grade um and i grew up in the japanese countryside as the only chinese kid in an elementary school full of you know japanese kids in the 90s um where there was really big discrimination against anybody that wasn't japanese or white honestly <laughs> So I got bullied a lot. I got called names. I got, um, I got, uh, I don't know, got into fights. Uh, I got ignored. All the like little kid bullying tactics. Um, and so I actually was really relieved when my parents were like, we're gonna, we're gonna move to America. And I'm like, thank goodness. Like, I was kind of like... <laughs> I was kind of sad about it because there were aspects of living in Japan that I loved. I had like started to make some friends, but it was also kind of really tumultuous. And for actually, I'm extremely grateful to my parents for having made the decision that they did. Apparently, one of the other places that were that they were considering, like my dad had gotten a job offer six months prior to the like the U.S. job offer. He had gotten one from Germany, like a German company. So if like the US company hadn't, I guess, reached out around the same time, I would be speaking German. Um, wow. I mean, that'd be pretty yeah, cool. That would be really cool. Um, but like, I really appreciate the decisions that they made for us, like for their kids, because they were like, oh, it'd be better for us to move to the US because there's better education opportunities for like, um, and I'm just really grateful that they made that decision because I can imagine that if I had grown up in Japan, I'd be a completely different person. I think I would be like very much lacking self-confidence because of the way I was bullied. Because I think when I was a kid, I thought it was all my fault. Like I thought I just was like not likable. Um, and then I came to America and like people didn't bully me. And I was like, oh. So it wasn't all because of me. Um, and so that was really helpful for my self-confidence. And then also, I think I wouldn't have gotten into tech if I was in Japan still, because I think I think there's an even stronger social pressure for girls to not be into the math and sciences and like to be, you know, that like, our goals when we grow up should be like a happy marriage and like being a good housewife. And so, 
Yeah, because of that one decision my parents made, I am who I am now today. And I mean, we're all thankful for it too, because like what we may not have <laughs> ever met then. I, yeah. I've never been to Germany, so that you know, that, yeah, that may never have happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am so happy about like all of the people I've gotten to meet, like through the conferences that we've been to, and just like, yeah, I'm very grateful. <laughs> Me too. I, I always love that too. So. You're growing up in Southern California. What are some things that you like to do as a child? Like other than, I mean, not go to the beach. We know that, but like. (laughs) (laughs) I was very nerdy. I'm like still very nerdy. But I think um, some of the, I was thinking about this, about like my childhood, because I listened to your episode and I loved it. And I loved how you were talking about like how much you loved art and like, uh, like, um, skateboarding and then getting into graffiti and how there's always been like a very creative side to you and I was kind of thinking about my childhood and how like um, one of the things that were really fun and good about Japan was like um, <laughs> I read so much manga um, like Japanese comics um, and there used to be this culture I don't even I don't know if there's still this culture but there's like a culture called like Tatsuyomi which means to like go to a bookstore and then just read, like stand there and read comics. Cause back then in the nineties, like people wouldn't, the bookshop keepers wouldn't yell at you if you just took a book off the shelf and start re- started reading it. Cause you were right. quote unquote sampling it, but like you can sample all the way to the end and never buy anything. So my friends and I used to like go to bookstores like on Sunday mornings and just like quote unquote sample manga for like the entire day. Um, And I think because of that, when I got to America, um, I really, really missed like, you know, being able to read the manga, watching the anime, the Japanese dramas. And I was in like a very non-Asian suburb right outside of LA, like with like, uh, like still even now there's like, no good boba shops within like a 15 minute driving (laughs) radius i know even now in 2022 um so i like had no access to like manga right and so i actually turned to the internet and like looking back now um my first i guess like brush with code not really code but like kind of um that side is like with irc because Yeah, I get it. (laughs) Because I figured out that I could download all of the original raw Japanese like manga and like, and uh, I can download all of them through IRC. So like I started going into those chat rooms, which meant that I started getting introduced to people that were scanlating. So I actually helped scanlate, I helped translate from like Chinese and Japanese into English for a while. And then I saw that they were making websites to host their scanlations. And that's how I got into like Photoshop and like making websites. And like I learned HTML and CSS. And I uh, like, I remember freshman, sophomore year, like my joy was like during the school day, I would dream up what my new website design would be. I think I went through like 12 or 13 different design, like different designs. Like it would be like V12. And then I would come home and I would like 
make it in Photoshop and like lay it out with HTML. And um, I never got into JavaScript because it was too intimidating. Like I, I knew nobody, like none of my family members were like computer scientists or software engineers. Um, our town was like a biopharmaceutical town. So like nobody around me were software engineers. I didn't know anything about code. So JavaScript was extremely intimidating to me. But I always thought it was so cool to be able to make something on the internet. Um, and that's that's how like when I got into and, and our high school didn't even have computer science classes. But when I got to high or when I got to college, I was like, I want to take a CS class. And that's how it was all manga, actually. That's and amazing. at one point, <laughs> I know, right? At one point, I actually quote unquote managed other people to help me upload like scanlations onto my manga hosting website like (laughs) it is the nerdiest i love it no it's like i mean you learn so many skill sets off of something that you love and it's like you're learning all these things to enable yourself to do this one thing and then while doing that you're building up the skill set and being like wait actually like doing some of these things like photoshop and building a site now i have one follow-up question where do you host these sites? Like, I think that can tell a lot about the time and everything too. Oh my gosh. Where where were you like publishing? I always think back to like my early times of HTML was like the GeoCities, Angel Fire. What was the thing of the time? Oh my God. I, I've forgotten what domains I used to have. I think think probably GeoCities. I don't remember what my website was hosted on. It was like one of those free hosting services where you don't get your own domain name. Um, But I do remember that because it was free, we don't get any storage, right? So then all, and but like, like the scanlations are images that are like, I mean, now it's very small files, but back then they were like very big files. So we would upload them to photo bucket. And so... Um, I used to have, and the the people that I managed were like the ones that had different photo bucket accounts because photo bucket has a limitation, like a, like a storage limitation. So like, you know, (laughs) I had people that were, had multiple photo bucket accounts and they were like responsible for uploading different chapters of manga. Um, And then I remember at the quote unquote peak of my um, uh, website, I was getting enough traffic that I could apply to this like special like domain it was like the special web hosting platform dedicated to only manga and anime websites and if you could prove that you had enough content and traffic then um, they gave you your own domain name and a certain amount of file storage uh, so that you don't have to rely on photo bucket. That was that was the peak of my career. <laughs> That's so cool. I mean, super rewarding too at that point where you're like, yeah, hey, this is like I've I've made it. I've done something pretty impressive that people are noticing. So that's really cool. Yeah. And then I had to shut it down because I had started taking AP classes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So this is like leading you right into college then at that time or university? No, no. This was this was like my freshman and sophomore year. And then um junior year I was taking like four or five AP classes. So then okay. <laughs> I was like, I can't handle this. <laughs> Fair enough. But so 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 it built up the love for 
computers, coding. And then, like you said, your high school did not offer any computer science. So you went to university and decided computer science. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. All right. <laughs> um, so this is another weird part about my like weird logic, which is um, my parents are very math and science oriented. So um, from a young age, like our family activity was that we would sit down and do like math problems together. So, like, by the time that um, I graduated high school, I had basically taken, like, all available math and science classes, like, that my high school had. And by that point, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'm, like, math and science out. Um, I'm going to do the complete opposite. And uh, for a 17-year-old brain, the complete opposite of math and science was business. I love that. <laughs> I went and declared undergrad business and I thought I was going to go into investment banking um, and into finance, which I think what I didn't realize at the time is like I love I liked finance the most because it had to do with numbers because I actually really like math. <laughs> and then um, but I, I like took CS classes on the side Um I took one my freshman year. I loved it, but I was not good at the tests. I'm a really shitty test taker. And so I think that was my first C in my life. Um, and the thing with our business major at our school was like really weird where you got into the university, but to get into the business program, you have to apply your sophomore year to get in your junior year. Like you can't even just declare the major, like you had to get accepted to be able to declare it. Um, and like, like 50% of the application was GPA. So I was like, yes, I'm not taking any more CS classes because I'm so shitty at it. Um, so I didn't take another CS class until my junior year. And when, and my junior year after I had gotten into the business program, I was like, well, I'm already here. I guess I can screw up my GPA now. So, and I loved my CS class. So I started taking more CS classes. And the more CS classes I took, I was like, wait, I freaking love this. Like, I love this more than the finance classes or business classes I'm taking. Um, and I had like two investment banking internships. And by the end of my summer junior year, I was like, I don't think I can do this investment banking life. <laughs> I don't think it's like my personality. Um, I don't think I can work like a hundred hours a week and be happy about it. So my senior year, I went into my senior year being like, yeah, I'm going to try and get a software job. I don't think this is realistic, uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and double in CS. And when I told all of my friends, they were like, dude, we knew this was gonna happen. When you first said that you were going into business, we were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> we knew you would come back around to like something mathy. 
<laughs> and so, yeah, uh, senior year, I just took like so many computer science classes. And then it was actually really hard because I had a lot of insecurity, like a lot of insecurity um, because I was going up against like our school CS program is like one of the top in the nation. And then like I was going up against those people that had like taken CS classes all four years and done all of their internships at like different like at Google and Facebook and I was like why would anyone hire me like for full time um but I uh I think what I didn't know back then was that um for a lot of good hiring managers um, the passion and the excitement is what's important. And I had a whole story about why I wanted to get into tech, which is that I realized that business wasn't for me. And I wanted so desperately to get a software engineering job because I loved coding. And that really resonated. And that's how I was able to get my first um, full-time software job out of college. And and I went to a big data company called Splunk doing a front end development yeah we know a lot about splunk that's awesome <laughs> so that was your first job out of school like done you're in it where is splunk located like because I'm, I'm following like you were in the south like south california now you're moving up north right oh yeah yeah sorry um i went to university at berkeley or in it was, I went to Berkeley. So yep. I was already in the Bay. And so it was really easy for me to just like cross the bridge to SF. So Splunk is headquartered in SF. To this day, one of my favorite front end happy hour episodes is the one about imposter syndrome. And I know we did it again, but that resonated so much with me because I know, I think like, that whole experience of, you know, landing a full-time job after only three semesters of CS coursework with no internship experience, I thought I had somehow just, like, faked my way in. Like, I couldn't believe that anybody wanted me. Like, my manager is, to this day, one of my favorite managers I've ever had, and he was so good. He's like, no, you made it here for a reason. Like, you're you're really good at what you do. But by, at that time, I was, like, so blinded by my own imposter syndrome, I couldn't believe him. And, yeah, um, and so I just, I just want to say, like, to anyone that – feels imposter syndrome like I I get it um, and I think the only way that I got out of it was just like I think that imposter syndrome like get, gave me like a d amount of desperation <laughs> where I just wanted to learn everything I like that's how I got out of it the second time or, or the first time around and then there was like waves of imposter syndrome later in my career too that I think we've talked about yeah. yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that doesn't fully go away. You have moments of yeah. it. And but I also like the positive side of it too, is that you're like it it forced me to really learn more and just feel like, yeah, I still need to like keep pushing myself, which I mean, sometimes that's a positive side out of it too, because imposter syndrome can be pretty crippling. So it's almost like good that it was a yeah. big driver. Yeah, it was very crippling while it was like suffocating while I had it. But I am grateful that I think I I can now recognize that it was also unhealthy the amount of time, like overworking myself I was doing. But I also do appreciate the um, work that my past self put in so to because that's I'm I am where I am now because of the 
all the imposter syndrome and desperation and and the work that my past self has put in. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's not easy, but I love that you share (laughs) that. (laughs) Thank you. So first job, Splunk. How long did you say it's Splunk for? I was there for a year and a half and I was there at a very interesting time. So I actually signed the week after Splunk had gone public. So I actually thought that I like I actually thought I had lost my offer because like the recruiter was non-responsive for like two weeks after they oh, like, no. gave me the verbal offer. And like and then later on I found out it was because they were busy going public and celebrating. <laughs> um and so I think I got my offer like the same day or the second day after they went public. But it was such an interesting time because I think we went from like, I joined um, when it was about 400 people. And then a year and a half later when I left, not even a year and a half, it was like, yeah, when I left, it was like 12 or 1300 people. Wow. That's not small. That's pretty quick growth. Yeah. And I think that um, that's one of the big reasons why I left because I think they were just having so much growing pains that... Um, I just wasn't getting work. Like for six months, I wasn't put on any major projects because they kept on being like, we need to figure out the roadmap and like things kept on getting scrapped. Um, like they would try to put me on something and then that would get scrapped for something else. And then, and then, so like they had me on that waiting pattern to like try to put me on something that was more stable, but because of all the growing pains, it was just, I think, Um, one of the key moments I still remember is like, oh, my mom loved my Splunk shop. And she's like, what do you mean you don't do anything? You still get a nice salary and all those stock options. Your stocks are doing like so well. Like, (laughs) and I'm like, mother, I am 23. If there's any time in my life for me to be like fighting and like hustling and working hard, it is now. Yes. The moment when I knew that I needed to leave was like, there was one day when I was working from home and literally I got one bug in the morning that I fixed in 30 minutes and one bug in the afternoon that I fixed in 30 minutes. And then I marathoned and finished a whole Japanese drama series. And I was like, (laughs) it's nice to be getting paid to do this, but also I think this is better when I'm like 15, not 23. I, I hear you. It's like there's there's those moments where you're like, I have I don't need to be comfortable right now. It's like also for yeah. us for us in like I feel like engineering, uh, it's just like you want to keep learning, and if you're just like not being challenged enough, it, it can get really dull. And I mean, I personally couldn't sit there and just have nothing. I've been in those jobs too, so <laughs> I I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of us that are so like love front end and are so involved in it is because of how fast paced it is. And like the learning is, I I really do think the fast paced learning is what keeps it exciting even like a decade later. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. So you decided, you know, I got to get more challenges, (laughs) try something differently. What, What did you do next after Splunk? Yeah, yeah. So... One of the really great things about being at Splunk was that it was a big data company and I was on one of the front end teams. And 
Oh my god, I can wax poetics about how good my manager was because he like shielded us from all of the politics. But another thing that he encouraged was he was like, "Hey, that was around when D three had just come out, so it was like a year after D three had just started." And my like first week or so, he was like, "Hey, you're not on any projects yet, and there's this like new thing called D three we're interested in. Um, do you want to give it a try?" And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so he kind of just like helped me, like so it like kind of helped me get into D three, and I ended up loving it because um one of the things I guess I didn't mention earlier is that I actually also loved art, like drawing and painting growing up, and so I actually like uh, did watercolor since I was like four or five. Never like always like very amateur, but I I did do. Uh, art classes for all four years of high school and um, entered competitions and I loved painting and I loved drawing but I gave it up all cold turkey and university because I was like I would just spend like all day drawing or painting um, and not really and like do my homework at like the last two hours. And I feel like I could only get by on that because it was high school. Yep. But then when I got to university, I was like, I definitely cannot sustain that. So I just like quit drawing. Did join a graphic design club in college. But I think I did explain that in my interviews. So my manager was like, you want to give this D3 thing, like this data visualization thing a try. And I loved it because it was, it was math and it was code and it was art. Um, and so once I fell into that, um, I knew that for my next job, I wanted to do something like data visualization related. And that's how I landed up a startup that was a, an enterprise security company called Illumio. I was there for two and a half years and it was like a really great experience because I gained so much technical, um, like technical skill from that. Um, if my first job at Splunk gave me like confidence with D3, then my second one gave me a lot of confidence about like how to build a product or how to help build a product from the ground up, like from scratch. Um, and that's where I really did a lot of D3 with like first with Backbone, then yep. with React and thinking about software architecture, but also like kind of like inter-team relations, like how do you convince others um, about your idea? I learned so much from a technical aspect at that job. Um, and I think that's what set me up really well from at least a technical perspective when I decided to quit and start freelancing as kind of my like next step. That's really cool too. I love that like going from Splunk, like super data like oriented, right? Obviously like Splunk is, that's a big product around data, <laughs> big data. And then, so you're like, cool, I got some exposure to data, then more to the visualization aspect of it. But even leaving Splunk, you were like, I was super bored. Like I was barely doing anything. <laughs> and then yeah. get, getting thrown into the startup, which taught you so much. Like, I think that, you know, just even hearing, like going back to your mom and being like, hey, you know, like I wasn't learning at Splunk, I wasn't growing. And then just jumping to that next role was so useful. It shot you into the next thing, which is really cool to hear. I, I am curious, what made you decide, hey, I've done two jobs, I want to now be 
fully on my own and freelance, which to be honest, can be very scary. And I'm, I'm sure you had moments of, of scariness doing that. Oh my God, it was so scary. <laughs> Imagine explaining that to your very Chinese parents. <laughs> oh, I was, I was thinking that too, as, as this going back to the, you know, Splunk and, and thinking about it that way. I'm like, yeah, I bet you Shirley's mom had something to say about this. Yeah, I'm. what I'm really thankful about my parents is they've always been like very supportive in the sense of like, they've never been the kind of like Chinese parents that are like, you must be doctor, engineer, uh, lawyer, lawyer is the last one. Yeah. Um, and so they never, they were like, as long as you're happy, <laughs> my dad used to be like, you know, as long as you don't end up in jail. Uh- <laughs> he set, he set the bar like really well. I like it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but he like would step in once in a while. Like when, when I got my first seat, he was like, what are you doing? But yeah, so they've always given me a certain amount of freedom to choose like what I want to do. They do have like little, like. I don't understand <laughs> your decisions, but you do you. Um, and so, yeah, it was definitely very interesting because, like, my parents definitely came from China with a goal of stability. And their daughter is like, I'm going to go do one of the most unstable things out there and freelance. Um, yeah, it was really scary, especially the for the first six months when, um, if I remember correctly, in my first six months, I made $20,000. Uh, <laughs> it was very little, but I think, and, and I, I do also want to say that I'm not a very risk taking person, or at least before that, I didn't think I was a very risk taking person. And that's the experience that kind of taught me. There's like a difference between like calculated risk and like, like a risk with like a certain amount of confidence that it will pay off versus like just blind risk. But one of the biggest, uh, realizations I had was at the startup, um, especially my first year, because like first year, you feel like you need to put in your time and like prove your worth. And so for my first year, I was literally working like nights and weekends, like the, you know, like the typical young startup life, especially coming from like, (laughs) how it was like at Splunk. Um, So I was giving it my all and I'm really proud of the work I did. But one of the things I realized at one of those like late nights when I like looked up and it was like 9 p.m. and I was still in the office and I was like, wait, <laughs> I'm like, why am I putting in like, why am I basically sacrificing my nights and weekends for someone else's dream? And then I started like and then it became a lot more like clear of um, that a job is where the employer is exchanging money for my time. And I just said something very obvious. But um, that time is the expectation is something like nine to six. And if time is one of my most valuable resources, why am I giving up more of that resource for the same amount of money? Because we're all salaried. Um, And that's when I realized that Uh, With the extra time I have, I want to be working on my own dreams than someone else's dream. I was 24 and this felt revolutionary. Um, (laughs) And so that's and and I stuck it out for a while because I loved um, 
By while, I mean two and a half years, which I feel like in startup years is like five years. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say I'm. Mean, it's actually a while. Like it honestly is. Yeah. Like I think I think to my career, and I'm like, yeah, it's usually a couple of years at a as a place. So that's that's a fair amount. Yeah, and so I stuck it out until like, and I'm really proud of the fact that I quit. There was all also a lot of unfortunate politics. That had happened, and so, but I was really proud that I had quit, not because of the politics, but because um, I had I had also realized that the product that I had helped kind of build um, had started to kind of enter like a maintenance phase, and that made me realize that I very much enjoy the upfront building and not as much the kind of like maintenance, which I highly respect people that maintain because that is a hard job. Um, but I just knew it wasn't for me. And that's when I realized like, I loved the coding and data visualization part of my job. Um, but I did not really care about enterprise, like enterprise security as an industry. And that's when I decided that I wanted to try freelancing so that I can try my hand at like a lot of different industries and kind of see what I like and then maybe settle back into a full-time job. Um, and the uh, <laughs> the surprise or not surprise is that what I ended up loving was the freedom of freelancing. Uh, and I have never gone back to a full-time job since. <laughs> but which is cool because you found what you love. That's really cool to hear. And so, Thank you. yeah, you've been able to work on some pretty amazing projects too. And like just amazing clients that you've worked with and done so many cool things that I, I personally have enjoyed seeing your work that Thank way. So, so I think like, cool to see that. What's uh, how, do you have some favorite projects or ones that like stick out where you're like, oh, that was like really something I'm super oh, proud of? Yeah, yeah. I have a few that were like they shifted, like they were like mental shifts in how I think about my career. But before that, I just wanted to kind of finish saying about the freelancing that um, it was a risk, but I had also um, at that time, fortunately, had some amount in my savings that I had like six months of padding and I like and and so that allowed me I can I feel like this is a whole other episode of like freelancing and how to get into freelancing but I think the few things that I do want to say for anybody that might be interested in it is like having that padding was extremely helpful because it gave me the um, luxury of being able to say no to projects that I didn't think were a good fit and not have to be desperate about taking on things for money and also, um, I had to promise my parents that if I didn't make the same amount my first year freelancing as I did at a full-time job, then I would go back to a full-time job. And that made me really work hard. <laughs> I, I kind of like that, though. It's, it gave you that, here's the line that I need to meet, and like giving yourself that drive and, and meeting those expectations, yeah. which sometimes is like being freelance or, you know, any of that, like you have to hustle, like going to a job, yeah. you're like, ah, it's just like, I have to do this work. And I know it. someone's taking care of that part for you. But when it's on you, you have to hustle too. So yeah, that's really cool. I like that having that like line in the sand. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, for the projects, I think one of my first favorite projects is like the, the Hamilton one. Um, it's called an interactive visualization of every line in Hamilton. 
is such a long name, but um, it's basically um, a what we call in the data visualization world a scrolly telling, where as you scroll, um, the visualization animates, and then um, there's uh, certain stories that I kind of weave together with the visualizations uh, from my analyses, what I learned about the musical. And at the very end, I give like an interactive visual tool for exploring the lyrics, the theme, the recurring themes and the characters. That one was a big one um, because it was the first time like my um, work had gotten uh, that amount of attention. And um, it made me realize two things that um, the first thing being that what I thought was like this little thing, this little data visualization thing that I like doing that feels kind of silly and not serious could actually um, reach people. And there was like a lot of people that were like, whoa, I didn't know coding could be so cool. And there was actually a lot of women, young women that were, that were like, I'm taking a CS class right now and I didn't know that code could be so beautiful. And I was like, holy crap. Um, and then my favorite tweet was like, um, this mom tweeted me that like, uh, she and her son were learning how to code together and that there were big Hamilton fans and that when he got back from school that she was going to share it with him. And I was like, oh my God, like I didn't know my work can bring like a mother-son together. And it was a very beautiful moment. Wow. So that was kind of like- I'm moved by that. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was like one of the big mental shifts of like, I think I had- I have, I have this tendency to not take myself seriously or downplay myself. So that was like one of the big moments where it was like kind of a confidence booster. Um, and then there were another one that I got to work with my friend Nadi and uh, the Guardian, uh, the US Guardian team um, on a project called Bust Out. And it was this big investigative journalism piece about how American cities buy... Uh, bus tickets for their homeless people to kind of essentially shuttle them to another city. Um, and that was the piece uh, in which um, it was a big one that like actually um, there were like actually it actually inspired like policy talks and um, and that was the moment I was like, oh, again, this silly, this thing that I thought I was just doing like silly thing I was doing can actually be serious and actually like have an impact. And that was really cool. And then I did a few others, um, more for like art museums. Um, I did one with SF MoMA that made me realize how much um, I appreciated creative freedom um, and how much I loved art still. Um, Cause it was, uh, being an artist was like a four-year-old dream that like when I was a four-year-old and I gave up on it because I realized that um, it's hard to make a good sustainable living as an artist. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then I realized that was also the moment I realized that uh, I love data visualization because it's the closest thing to art that I can still get a tech company to pay for. So, um, yeah. And I think one last one is a project I did called Legends, which is a 3D visualization of... Uh, women Nobel laureates. And that's when I realized that um, out of the almost a thousand Nobel laureates, only 50, 53 are women. And that's 
Yeah. Wow. That's so little. Yeah. Uh, I have a whole reveal with that project where each woman is represented as a crystal and you can like, like navigate uh, amongst them and read about their accomplishments. And if you kind of like, quote unquote, like fly up, you can see them arranged by decade and you can see how few of them there are per decade. And then the reveal is that each of the stars floating around them represent one of the 893 or 890 something men that have gotten the award. So that's also really informed kind of the topics, uh, the data sets that I'm interested in since. Yeah, that was a lot. (laughs) No, I I love it. And I mean, because I've seen a lot of these pieces. So hearing you talk through them is like really exciting too. And one thing that I'll just say that stuck out to me that I've always loved about your work, even data visualization in general, but I think I've always seen you take it to a next level. It's not just a data set. It's it's it tells a story, like the Hamilton one. It's telling a full-on story. And even just the last couple that you've said there too, it's pointing out that there's this clear problem or misrepresentation of of women, but it it tells this whole story and it's done very beautifully. And so it's like true real world data that draws attention. And it's not just like me sitting there reading a bar chart or, you know, a nice little pie graph. Like it's not that. And, And I think that that to me is really much where you've tied the art and data to tell a story. And I think it, it is super powerful. So, but I get it too. It's like, sometimes you get in your own head and you know, you're like, yeah, I mean, no one's going to care about this so much. This is really cool, but like they don't care, but they do. And that's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Obviously been doing freelance for a while. Now you're, you're still doing some freelance, I think, but it's also, you've done a new journey, which is going back to school. What yeah. made that change happen? Yeah, I actually, um, I'm not freelancing currently and I decided to not freelance at all for the two years that I'm in school. I just couldn't handle both. I think I'm like a very like one track minded person, but yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so one of the opportunities I got while I was freelancing is that um, I started this project called Data Sketches with my friend Nadi Bremer, who's absolutely amazing. Like, um, she creates beautiful, stunning, but like also like you were saying, like um, visualizations that have a story that like is very much like brings people in. We worked on a project called Data Sketches, uh, which we actually talked about a little bit on a previous episode. And uh, the premise of Data Sketches was 12 topics. And for each topic, uh, we both make a data visualization from scratch and we write about the data gathering process, the data exploration, the design, and the code. Um, And we got the opportunity to write a book uh, or turn all of those documentation into a book. Um, and uh, and that was an amazing process, but oh boy, I was so burnt out. Uh, and that was kind of uh, our one of our previous episodes was about uh, what it's like to write a book. <laughs> um, but I realized uh, once we turned in the manuscript for that book that I had like spent a whole month just staring at my work and staring at my words talking about my work and I was so burnt out that it was like I don't think I want to look at my work anymore like I don't think I want to do what I used to do which is extremely ironic because one of my like when we first signed the book deal um I was like oh I hope this gets us more clients in the space that um I'm doing like 
I hope it gets us or it gets me more clients working on projects that I love. And then we turn in a manuscript and I'm like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. <laughs> um, and so I went through like a good few months of burnout where I was like, I don't know what I want to do, which was like very like uh, didn't help that it was middle of a pandemic. But also, I think it was just really weird to have something that I used to love, which is like coding and art and data viz and like not want to touch it anymore. And that was when I realized like, I think I want that was when I realized like what I still love is the learning. I think what I've always loved, like we mentioned before, is like learning new things. And I think more than data visualization itself, what I loved was that there was so much to learn um, and trying to get better at the craft. Um, And I think once we had written a book, I felt like I had learned all that I wanted to learn in that field. And, um, And so that's why I decided to go back to school because what I realized is um, I love learning. Learning stimulates me. But also that one of the things that I do still love is trying to tell stories with data, like finding those nuggets of stories is really exciting. So I'm now back at a grad program uh, at New York University called um, ITP, which is kind of this program at the intersection of art and technology. So using emerging technology to make art. Um, and I'm here because I've had kind of this like years long dream of like, what would it look like if I can take the data visualizations that I created for the screen, but instead of something flat and two dimensional, what if it becomes a whole like physical world immersive experience and what would that be like to tell a story so um that's what i'm trying to explore here of like what are the technologies that enable that um is it even possible um but also what does it mean to kind of shift from like a freelance you know um i think this is another thing i've been doing a lot of like um in like reflection and this is another thing of like I've always tried to make myself small. I think it's just my background of being Chinese woman and being like a woman in tech. I think I've always subconsciously or unconsciously made myself small. And like, so what does it mean for me to transition from kind of like an IC of like a designer developer to something more like a creative director role like what does that look like for me and what does it look like to be a creative director that can tell data stories in a lot of different mediums um so that's what i'm trying to explore here i love that no i love how you just Thank like you bridge the gap to more learning and then like here's where i want to go with in the future maybe before we fully close out i have one question that if you were to do something different and i feel like you're doing different things so this might be a little different in asking it but like if you didn't do tech at all what would it be like if you started over what would you choose oh no it's not I finance i know that <laughs> did that and decided not to do that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe I'm just like so hyper-focused on when I was a kid, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to actually for like a like 
brief blip of time, I was like, I want to go to Pixar and be like a computer graphics uh, person. I didn't even know what computer graphics really meant. I was like 10. Um, And so there are dreams I've had when I was a child. Um, But I think what's exciting for me now is that I've I'm closer and closer to accomplishing those dreams, but from a path that I have never imagined as a child, which is the tech part. Like, I think I would have been like a mediocre artist um, professionally, uh, but I think weaving technology into it has been really, like using code, using software for the creative expression has been so fun. so I can't, I don't know how to imagine, even even if I'm say even if I say artist, like I can't imagine being an artist without the tech part now. I don't know. Uh, another can can like chill retiree traveling around the world be like a career? Because <laughs> that yeah. would be like <laughs> if you take the tech out, oh my god, okay. Hopefully short story. When I was in Japan pre-pandemic, I uh, we met uh, this person that split his time between San Francisco and Tokyo. So he would like, you know, do half the year. So he would, um, uh, he would do the spring months in Tokyo because spring is beautiful in Tokyo. Then he would do the summer months in SF because you know, like summer in Tokyo is sucks. Then he would do the fall months in Tokyo because it's again so beautiful with the like. Uh, the color change and then he would go back to SF for the winter and then he like gave us his uh, business card because everybody in Japan has a business card Um, and it just said I can't even remember his name anymore but it said something like travel travel yoga wine enthusiast (laughs) that's my life goal (laughs) sounds a pretty good uh yeah I like that title I'm like that sounds really nice that's really cool yeah all right (laughs) As we uh, close out, what would you like to leave the listeners with? A piece of advice or any last words? There's something that I've been thinking about a lot while I've been back in school, which is that I'm obviously on the older side of the student demographic at my program. And a lot of the other students are much younger, like maybe straight out of undergraduate or like only a few years out of there um and they have like a hustle and drive that I no longer feel (laughs) um I just feel really tired and I want to take it chill and so I've been trying to be better at taking it chill and so I've been trying to remind myself that um I put in the time in my 20s and I'm reaping the benefits of that now And my taking a break now and taking it slow is a gift I can give give myself in the future because I'm sure I'll also reap the benefits of my taking a break from the hustle and the quick pace and the workaholism and just taking some time for myself to really like, I guess, give myself space to figure out what it is that I want to do next and not get swept away with like the hustle of everybody around me, especially because it's New York. And I'm, I don't think that was any sort of like sage advice for <laughs> any of our la- like listeners. But I hope that if anybody feels the way that I do right now, 
having gone through two years of a pandemic and feeling really burnt out and not really sure about life. <laughs> I hope that Elise is helpful. No, that's super helpful. Well, thank you so much, Shirley, for taking the time and you know sharing a lot of interesting background. I hope our listeners really enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan.